Hey everyone, welcome to DMLA's seventh episode of Beyond the Field. Today we are going to be talking about a lot of things. Um, You guys all know that usually this podcast is about leadership, specifically in the marching arts. But today we're going to be talking about the current events of our time and how it's affecting us both as leaders in the marching arts and just as individuals. Um, It is a time of great self-reflection and reflection of the things that we're a part of. So let's begin with some introductions. Austin, why don't you go ahead and start? Well, hi everyone. My name is Austin. Uh, I am from South Carolina. I am a history major at the University of South Carolina. Um, And to identify myself, I'm a Black American. And Austin, what is your uh, marching arts experience? Marching arts experience, I marched for four years uh, as a part of the Carolina band, the Mighty Sound of the Southeast. Prior to that, I was marcher at Spring Valley High School, where I was drum major for two years. Awesome. And today we also have Joseph Kemp. Hey guys, my name is Joseph. Uh, I am a student at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign studying electrical engineering and minor music. Uh, last summer, 2019, I was a conductor for the Troopers. And to identify myself, I am a first-generation immigrant career. And uh, my name is Geneva Lay. I am a music ed student at Texas State University. I just transferred there. I am a conductor for Phantom Regiment. This will have been my second season. And I identify as a first-generation Asian-American. So to just get us started, we are going to kind of talk about what's been happening right now in our own words and how we're perceiving the current events um, and just sort of the movement that's been occurring right now. Austin, did you want to start us off? Well, as most people uh, have seen throughout the news everywhere, um, we are pressed again with watching another uh, unarmed African-American male dying at the hands of police, Um, and it just further raising the question about police brutality and whether or not um, certain lives, specifically Black lives in America, matter to the entire group at large. Yeah, that was incredibly well said, Um, and I think everyone can agree that kind of sets the tone for how the current events have been playing out lately. Um, Myself, and I I won't speak on Joseph's behalf, but as someone who's a person of color who is not black, uh, it is definitely definitely still something that's of importance to non-black people of color that we make efforts to make sure the message that Black Lives Matter is, is something that's pushed forward. Um, during this time where racial inequalities are just kind of highlighted in everything that we do. Um, And I'm just here as an ally, as a non-Black person of color, and to listen to the stories and experiences and demands of of Black Americans. So, um, Joseph, did you have have anything to add about this? Yeah, no, that's that's exactly spot on. I mean, uh, I think... uh... African-American people in this country have, they've even had a, a history of supporting Asian-Americans um, when we faced periods of discrimination. So, I mean, I think it's it's just so important that um, people of all colors, um, but especially you know, 
people of color really band together in this time and support uh, Black Americans in this country. Okay, so um, now I guess the question that we're going to talk about next is what this means to us as members of the marching arts community, as people part of DMLA, and just in our various lives, um, or excuse me, the various roles that we play in our lives as as people who don't live in a box and or in isolation from affecting other people. So what are your thoughts on that, Austin? Um, my first thought is being a part of the marching arts that in, have a platform to uh, push for the change that we want to see. Um, the biggest thing I've, I've thought about is that adversity causes education. Um, and this is our chance as people in the marching arts using our platform, whether that is um, speaking to the people in our art, speaking to people who watch our art, being able to um, tell them about what's going on, how do we affect change. Um, I had a conversation with somebody the other day um, about just registering people to vote, that simple thing. So creating, thinking of new avenues um, to make change via the platform that we already have. I think that's fantastic, you know, seeing art as a way to further the information that we're able to give out. Uh, I know that my organization, Phantom Regiment, has taken steps that I'm really proud of to make and establish a really solid stance and do actual feasible, tangible actions to see that through. So I think another thing to think about are arguments against having certain organizations kind of take a stance. And um, I'm just gonna pick, pick right up. So yeah, Austin has made some really fantastic points about our role being in music organizations. I know that Phantom, being a part of Phantom, they have taken a really solid stance that I think the membership is really proud of, especially our Black membership, as they've been a, a large part of Phantom making a big solid stance on, on the current events. And one question that's been brought up kind of often in my interactions with others and how Phantom is stepping in is why we are feeling the need to make this or to make our art about current events or to make our art political quote unquote and my response is usually that I think the participation in the creation of art is political in and of itself simply because the privilege to make art is largely more available to our white counterparts and much more socioeconomically bound people of color. I was in a conversation the other day that Phantom posted actually through a recorded Zoom call where we all kind of recognized that all the people of color in the Zoom call came from white privileged neighborhoods. And that's kind of the reality for a lot of individuals that are people of color that are able to participate in making music or being in music organizations past their public school education. And that's just something to consider, you know, um, to our listeners, 
a lot of you are in high school right now or around our same age. Maybe there are also possibly some older generations listening to this. I hope that they are. But if you look at the amount of representation of Black Americans and people of color in general in the, in the marching arts beyond public school education, it, it's very few. And there's a big reason for that. And so when I hear something about criticizing art and quote unquote making it political, I would argue that it's political political from the beginning and access to making art is something that is up to our organizations to change, to make it a more equal opportunity for those that are not able to participate in what many consider as an extracurricular beyond their regular life. Um, so that's kind of how I feel about, you know, music organizations during this time. Joseph, did you have, some, did you have something? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, think, I think one of the most beautiful things about um, drum corps, band, music in general really is that it, it's, it's truly one of the most inclusive spaces there are, or at least has the potential to be. Um, you know, that, that last point, you know, has the potential to be is sort of the biggest thing there. I mean, Janine, what you said about, you know, social and economic status and, and that really being uh, I mean, specifically in drum corps, that really being a huge sticking point for a lot of people, especially with, you know, we, we see, we have so many cases of, of tuition just ballooning out of control. Just, just that alone, I mean, that, that's, that's such a huge thing. Um, and, you know, that, that really ties to, you know, all these cores really making pushes. I mean, Phantom Regiment, I mean, they're, they're, but from what I see, from what they're sharing, I mean, they're making some fantastic strides to, to increase diversity in, in their core. And I, I think that's something we absolutely, absolutely need to see more of. That's just, it's, it's so crucial. Not just making statements. I mean, it, it, it seems like every core has, has made a statement by now, but really putting, putting those words into action. That's what I'm excited and looking forward to, to seeing really um, going on in the future. For sure. Uh, keeping this momentum going is a big part of these discussions and what we're having them as DMLA and trying to push for that too from the organizations we're a part of outside of DMLA. So the next question that I wanted to ask or that, you know, I hope that we're all willing to answer is just sort of the adversity we face possibly caused by our racial status in our life and in the marching arts, the experiences we've had as leaders, how we've seen our status as people of color um, affect how we do our job or how we feel when we are doing our job or how we worry about our perception when we're in our job. So um, back to that question, if we could all just take a second and share whatever we're comfortable with, you know, the kinds of racial inequalities we faced in the activity as leaders uh, and as people. Austin, do you want to start us off? Yeah, um, in the marching or in the art in general, I think, well, actually, I want to jump back um, just for a quick second to answer the last question and add on to this one. Um, when the conversation comes up about music, not wanting music to become political, I think a lot of times, if you look at the history behind our music, 
our music has a message about what's happening at the time that it's written. The one that I think of the most is a a short, very short piece called uh, The Flame of Eternal Glory by Dmitry Shostakovich. History recounts that he um, entered this in a contest for a new national anthem of the Soviet Union, when in actuality he was forced by the Soviet Union government to create them something that uh, would show their power and might against the United States, and he created that, and they didn't like it. Um, so history tells us that a lot of uh, the music that we hear has a message of political or social events that are happening around it. Um, but in my life, personally, I think I've never, in the marching arts, I've never really seen like open um, adversity towards me. But I also understand that um, for me being a black male, I have to, it, with, if people are working 100%, I have to work 150% um, just to be seen in the same light. Um, and in my experience, I've come to understand that when I work at 150%, it is it's even in my DNA now just to do everything I can when some don't have to do as much and get recognized or are seen doing more. Um, so that adversity is probably the biggest one. I'm lucky that I haven't seen any open adversity or racism come out of the marching art that is so inclusive and so put together with so many different people. Thank you so much for sharing, Austin, that bit about Shostakovich as well as your own experience. I think that by and large, a lot of the racism, and I know this is not a conversation about sexism, but but that as well that we see in the marching arts can oftentimes just be subtle or just be passive. And sometimes that makes it harder to call out because it is so... It is so ingrained in the tiniest little things that others may or may not do. And in my experience, I think that there are very specific instances that have happened to me both both in my regular life and in drum corps as well, where just to sum them up and not to get too specific, people have made assumptions about why I am good at certain things or why I am bad at certain things because of my race. And they've been explicitly told to me. And this has been from the side of members as well as staff, as well as officials. And, you know, that is a disappointing thing to experience in the summer, to realize that, you know, as a person of color, oftentimes, and this may not be every person of color's experience, but I feel like for Asian Americans, sometimes our our accomplishments are chalked up to the assumption of how we are raised, as opposed to just who we are as people and the fact that, who we are as individual people, and the fact that our individual strengths have gotten us the accomplishments we have. You know, it's not, you are good at what you do because you are Asian, or because you are this, or because you are that, or you are bad at this because you are this, or because you are that, but because of the decisions you've made and the character you've formed as an individual mind beyond the social construct that is race. And so um, I personally don't want to get into specifics about that, but 
in sharing experiences, I think it is important to bring up that subtle and passive racism that, that you may or may not face, as well as the more explicit racism that some may pass off as, you know, a compliment to you or um, a generalization that's positive and therefore not as harmful as a negative generalization. So um, I think that there's a lot to be said there. And one, the last thing I'll, I'll say on this is there's this great point that's made uh, lately and for a long time about what white privilege really means. Um, even though I know that phrase is scary to many, it, it does not mean that your life as a white person or someone who's not a person of color in general um, is not difficult. It's just that the color of your skin and how you identify racially has not been one of the things that makes your heart, your life more difficult. So uh, I would just implore any listeners that may not be able to identify with being a person of color to understand that there are some things that make life a little bit more challenging for others that are not able to be changed by those people like identity. Um, Joseph, did you have something? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I've, I've been lucky. Um, you know, I also really haven't faced any situations of overt racism. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to, to be able to say that for sure. And of course, you know, there have been little sticking points, little situations here and there. Um, but for the, for the most part, I mean, I've, I haven't felt a lot of that pain. Now, I, I say that, but growing up, you know, I was, I was born in Korea. And when I moved uh, here to America when I was young, uh, I was really still in very predominantly Asian American communities, um, school, at work, the family I, I have here in America, I mean, it was all throughout, you know, through high school, all the way, all the way up through then. I mean, I, I, I spent a lot of time surrounded by a lot of Asian Americans, and that was sort of the reality of my life. Um, and having said that, going into drum corps, I mean, we, it's, it's, no, it's no myth that drum corps is a very, very predominantly white activity. Um, and, you know, in, in, in some generalizations, you know, the martial arts um, uh, is predominantly white. So that was that was sort of a, a big jump for me, um, being put into that situation, putting, being put into a group where I was finally the minority. And that was that was sort of shocking. And, and it, it took some adjustment because, you know, when we, we talk about minorities in the martial arts and minorities in, in, in these communities. You know, it's important to recognize that even even though there might not be overt racism, you know, we still want uh, and we still need to work for for these spaces to really become more inclusive. Um, just because, you know, like in, in in the smallest sense, you know, there 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 might be there might be young younger students that might be wanting to get into drum corps one to get into those high level of martial arts and they might be, be discouraged because they don't they don't see people that, that don't that they, they don't see people that look like them right and that can be really difficult so you know even even just that even that's just like a small example of, you know 
why that inclusivity is important, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have, have much more else add past that, but, you know, it, it's still important that we, we, st we still work towards these goals, you know? Yes, I agree. Uh, and on the on the point of representation, if you guys don't mind, I was going to ask another question after this, but now after Joseph has brought up representation, I think it's important for us to talk about that in our activity, in music in general, what it means to have representation in the arts and the power that art has when it is representative of, of different groups of people. So, Austin, do you have thoughts on that? Um, representation is everything. Um, it representation has the power to change different um, different things in our art. Um, it allows, like, for me to be in my university marching band. I remember my grandmother coming up to me and just telling me how important it was on the ancestral side, showing that I'm a um, second generation college student um, and how proud my family line would be, but also watching kids look just like me and I look like them, and them immediately saying, hey mom, I can do that, or having their mother come up to me and say, my kid really wasn't sure about doing marching band or doing any type of band, but now that he saw you had fun, um, he wants to do it or she wants to do it. Um, the representation is key um, in pushing any type of diversity narrative. Yeah, and uh, sort yeah. of that... Oh. Go ahead, Joseph. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and adding on to that, I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that that's really spot on. And, um, you know, when we talk about representation in, in leadership as well in the marching arts, um, I, I, I don't know if you guys have seen, but I, I, I shared uh, a paper recently with the DMLA staff called Ethnic Minority Leadership, asked some really, really interesting key points there. Um, I mean, the, the whole concept of, of visibility with, with inclusivity, you know, we already discussed that, but it's also, you know, having, having leaders in, 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 in the marching arts, leaders that are people of color, that are of ethnic minorities is really important because they can really be catalysts for change and, and, and form these communities within the marching arts where you know, all people of color are, are there to really support each other and really empower each other. Because that's that's important as well. Um, to because a part of it, inclusion is is having people of color in the community. You know, work to bring more people of color into the community and work on that. Because working from the inside can really really be effective. Yeah, just just forming communities as well. Um, like I mentioned, you know, when we, we talk about inclusivity, um, you know, it's it, it can be a really powerful tool. I mean, just to be specific, you know, um, in drum corps, we have, you know, you can have groups, you can have people of color that, that are, are there for each other, that, that check in on each other, because it can really be difficult at times, um, being in, in sort of that minority position. So yeah, I mean, Austin, I, I, I love what you said about um, Know, having having those inspirations and being that inspiration for other people for the next generation I think that's really profound 
I think it's great too that you brought up very specifically how you've interacted with people telling you that they now believe they can do something. You know, people, I think in general, hear those kinds of stories all the time and it sounds really nice and and happy, but it means something a lot stronger than just a cute moment. You know, I the, one of the main things that I bring up when people ask me the importance of representation is not just that it makes something possible for someone else, but when you think about your own personal life and the things that you've pursued, more than likely, you feel that you are able to do those things because you see someone who looks like you be able to do those things first. You know, the people that set up most of what you believe today are the authority figures in your life, namely your parents, if you are lucky enough to have parental figures in your life. You know, um, there are statistics out the wazoo about the percentages of people whose political ideologies, moral values, religious beliefs all stem from what they were, what they learned from their parents. And that isn't just, you know, because that's kind of the first group of individuals or the first individual that teaches you about a lot of these things, but it's because you're seeing someone who looks like you talk to you about what has empowered them, you know? And if you have questions about what it means to have such little representation of people of color in the marching community, just think about if you went to marching competitions, if you went to shows for high school and for college, and you saw no people that looked like you, there wouldn't be much incentive for you to believe that you have a place in that community. And that's all that brings us into, I think, possibly your last question. You know, I obviously do not mind if we continue this discussion, uh, whether within this podcast or beyond it, I think it's important that we continue this forever. But what things should we implore people around us, ourselves, organizations we're a part of to do to make this change monumental, to make change everlasting, to keep things fluid and moving along, to take the momentum we have right now with the question everyone's being being told to answer about race. What do we need to be doing in our own lives to make this better? Um, the biggest thing is for people to understand that everyone has a voice. Um, that you have a voice and it matters. It doesn't matter how old or young you are. Um, the fact that if you, again, I'm gonna kind of us back to history, um, since history is a long cycle of it. Um, history shows us that it, it, there was something that caused big change. Um, when you look at the American Revolution, it was, um, events that led up to the Boston Tea Party, the Civil War, we dealt with the argument of um, free states and slave states. At this point, with the tragic death of somebody and a mounting list of others who have died before him, we're now at a position where your voice matters. And I, and I want people, whether you're in high school, whether you're college, whether you're postgraduate, to understand that your voice matters and that Since your voice matters, your 
that might work for you. I think a lot of people miss that nowadays. Um, it's so easy to just vote for somebody on a ballot because they're Democrat, they're Republican, they're red, or they're blue, they're liberal, they're conservative, but vote for the person that you understand, regardless of their party or affiliation, that is going to work for you and work for your, for your benefit. Um, that we don't work for the government, but the government works for us. And once we understand that, then the ball will get rolling. We'll see change that we really want to see in this world. Joseph, did you want to say something? Uh, I think I, I would say, you know, the biggest thing here is to, to keep, to hold each other and hold your organizations accountable. Um, right now, we're seeing such a massive outcry on social media um, about all of the current events, and it's it's really great to see. But it would be even better to see to see that that action being or those words taken into action. Um, you know, it's not it's not enough. It's not it's simply not enough anymore to just make these statements. But it's we have to make some purposeful big steps into making um, our communities more inclusive um, and just compounding off that you know just just try to empathize with people I think that's a big thing and there's this distinction there between empathy and sympathy right sympathy is just feeling sorry for someone empathy is stepping into their shoes trying to see things from their perspective trying Gee. to get a hold <laughs> yeah trying to get a hold on where their emotions and where their feelings and where their thoughts and, and, and in this case where a lot of the grievances concerns are coming from so try to try it's, it, it, it can be really uncomfortable at times and it usually is trying to face all of those difficult situations but it's so important it opens up your eyes and it really drives you to, to change and be better and try to make things better for are all fantastic points about what we need to do and what we need to remember, the kinds of values and qualities that we need to exhibit in order to see sustainable change. I think that if I were to caution against something with with any time of great change or any time with great momentum, and it's funny, sorry to detract in my sentences so much, but it's funny because I think a lot of the time organizations like BAND can act like a microcosm of the real world in a lot of ways. It's just this little mini, I don't want to say experiment because your experiences in them are very real and they are not, you know, structured to feel as though it's an experiment, but it is kind of this petri dish of how you can use your influence for good in a lot of ways as a leader but in your own little program you know when you have a lot of momentum going in a season when you have everything going towards a really strong direction of all this energy you want to capitalize on you want to capitalize on that and you don't want your organization to become desensitized to the energy that's being produced so when we look at this from the perspective of society beyond your band organization, beyond the organizations you're a part of in general. Do not allow yourself or the people around you that are speaking up now to become desensitized to the tragedies that we're hearing about today and to allow them to not make you feel something anymore. You know, 
keep forming strong opinions about things. From educating yourself, from hearing about experiences and empathizing with other people like Joseph has said. And so that's, that, that would be my first thing, I think, is just to caution against being desensitized and not letting the steam kind of pitter out. And another thing, too, is to believe that something exists, even though you have not experienced it or seen it with your own eyes. Trust people to share difficult experiences because they are they are asking for action on your part and empathy from your part. You know, um, it's kind of it's kind of like object permanence that you learn when you're little. When you're little, when you're really, really little, before you understand what object permanence is, if you don't see that something's right in front of you, you don't think it exists anymore. You know, when you play peekaboo with a child, you put your hands in front of your face and they think you're completely gone. And then you play peekaboo and they understand, oh my gosh, you're back. But once they learn what object permanence is in the stages of childhood development, they understand that your face is still there even when it's behind the hands, right? And that is all just an analogy to say, I think, that when people who do not look like you and people who are being you know, who are suffering right now, in this case, it's black Americans today in this society, when they speak to you about the experiences they've had, just because you have not experienced it yourself, does not mean that it simply does not exist. And just because it doesn't happen to the quote unquote black people that you know, it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Things happen in different levels and at different weights all the time. Um, and so I think with all of that said, if you guys have anything, did you guys have any last thoughts? Um, we, yeah, I do. Um, and this, I'm trying to figure out my, um, but we've been seeing a lot in the news that people are saying this is also a time to listen. Um, only other thing I have to say to that is when you listen, listen to people who have a story to tell, but also listen to understand, not listen to respond. So many times in our world, it's easy to listen just so that we can make a comment back at the person. Rather than listen to just understand people. Um, most people would rather deal with somebody who is listening understand them instead of listening to them to give them more love. I think that's a great point. And it's a great skill that we need as leaders, both in the marching arts and in the world in general. And hopefully if you are a great leader in your marching organization, your aim is to be that same great person when you leave your band hall. So with all that said, everyone stay safe. Stay empathetic to one another and keep listening. Thank you so much and see you next week.